Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Ta'anit, daf Tet Vav, page 15. With page 15, or on page 15, rather, we conclude Perak Aleph, and we begin Perak Bet of Masachet Ta'anit. Um, we, today, are going to really just dive right into Perak Bet. Perak Bet, also, we, we open with what looks like an incredibly long Mishnah. And if you look at this same Mishnah in, a, let's say, in a book of Mishnayot, as opposed to in the Daf, you'll see that it really is divided into 10 separate Mishnayot. And here they're all lumped together. Now, we, Yardena, you and I together, I mean, and separately, have seen this phenomenon where a clump of Mishnayot are are um, printed together at the beginning of a parak of Gemara. But what I have never seen, to my recollection, is where one parak does that and one parak doesn't do that. Meaning, if you recall back in Parak Aleph, the first Mishnah was actually not that long. And then several Dapim later, I forget exactly where, but maybe Dafchet, something like that, we moved on to the next Mishnah. And then there was yet again another Mishnah. So here, if you look at Parak Bet, all of the Mishnah of Parak Bet is, is right now. And everything else in Parak Bet is Gemara on this Mishnah. So going forward after Daftet Vav, after page 15, we're going to consistently and constantly be referring back to this Mishnah without having a new chunk of Mishnah going forward. What we've decided to do here is just divide the Mishnah, which takes up really the bulk of the Daf, into half, meaning so that we end up with what in a different edition would be five and five of the ten Mishnayot. And I will start with the beginning, and your Dana, you will continue with the next five, <clears throat> and what I would say is that all of these details of these 10 Mishnayot that are slung together as one, I would say all of them, you know, require us to hold them in our minds for the coming Dabim as we come to them in the Gemara. So let's begin. Seder Ta'aniyot Ketzad. So the Gemara here is going to talk about the order of the fast days. Now, Perkbet in general delves into the fast days and the prayers of the fast days and so on. Um, as opposed to what we've been dealing with in Perak Aleph, which I think is, well, first of all, maybe a little bit more diverse, but also um, dealing with the fasting itself. Right here, we're dealing with the calendar, and then we'll, at some point, very quickly, deal with the, the blessings and so on. Seder Taniyot Ketzad, what is the order of the fast days? And part of the reason that they needed to know this back in the day was because they would take the Aron, the Ark, out, you know, so that they could they would take the ark out to the city, meaning in the absence of a Beit HaMikdash, they still would have an Aron, an ark for a, for the Torah scrolls, and they would bring them out to the main to the main place. So we're going to see how this, the Mishnah deals with that. Seder Taniyot Ketzad, what is the order of the fast days? Moti, meaning, not what is the order of the fast days, the days, like numerous fast days, but what is the order, meaning the practice in what, in what order of, of the day? Of, of each fast day. Moti'ina teteva, you bring out the, the ark, lirachova shel ir, to the, to the, to the, to the street, to the main square, to a, to a thoroughfare of the city. Vonotnin efer mikle agabeha teva, and you put ashes on the ark itself. Uvarosha nasi, and also on the head of the nasi. The, the nasi is the, the head dignitary or officiary. I don't think officiary is a word. Meaning the somebody who's got, um, you know, somebody's in a position of leadership. Uvarosh av and likewise in the 
on the head of the Av Beitin, which is another, you know, officiating um, individual here. And everybody is there with ashes on their head. The oldest person in the community says to the whole kahal, says to the congregation, any kind of statement of rebuke. Meaning, and we get an example. It is our brothers, it is not said about the people of Ninveh, what's not said. It says it doesn't say that God saw their sackcloth and their fasting. Ella, what does the verse really say? Meaning in the book of Yonah about Ninveh. God saw their deeds. He that they turned away from the evil way. Meaning God isn't, the, the point being, as a matter of rebuke, don't pay so attention, so much attention to your outward displays of repentance, let's say like your fasting and your sackcloth. Note what gets the attention in the book of Yonah about the people of Ninveh, namely that they actively turned away from doing anything bad and doing whatever the bad practices, the wicked practices that they had engaged in pr- previously. And Kabbalah, we've talked about this, Kabbalah means in the books of the prophets. In the books of the prophet, it says, And you should tear, um, to tear Kriya. Right? You should rend your, but it's not tearing Kriya of your clothing, you should tear your hearts and not your garments. Meaning, you should tear your hearts in sorrow that you've done anything wrong as a means of coming back to Hashem, um, of drawing near again. So that's the beginning. So now we've seen so far in the order of the day, we've got the, <coughs> excuse me, we've got bringing the ark to the central, uh, the center square. We've got the eldest person of the synagogue. Oh, I'm sorry, we put ashes on everybody, right? The eldest person gives some kind of rebuke to the people who are gathered there. And then Amdubatvila, all the people, they stand there in prayer, right? So that you have somebody who is going to lead them in prayer, but everybody stands. An elder goes before the ark. So what does it mean? He's an, he's, a king, he's an elder. The ragil, he is accustomed to be leading prayers. He has children. And he has an empty house, meaning this isn't an empty house like an empty nest. It's an empty house like somebody who is not wealthy, right? Somebody who is poor, and the idea is somebody who can be wholehearted in his prayer because he knows to turn heavenward, right, for all the needs that he can't automatically fulfill. Uh, the idea here being that, I don't know if this is a, true, but the presumption being that somebody who has more needs is going to pray with greater intent, greater intensity. And then we have the next level of what are they doing in this day? They say the 24 blessings before the congregation. What does that mean, 24 blessings? They say the regular 18 blessings of the Amidah. And they add another six. What are the six that they add? They would add in the same thing, the, the passages that are recited on Rosh Hashanah of Zichron and Shofarot. El Hashem Karati and Harim. These are uh, verses from Tehillim. Ki Tov. 
all of these are verses from Tehilim, and the idea is that they are really supplication kinds of passages, right? They are mizmorim that deal with pleading with God. So the idea is we add these same um, mizmorim of supplication to the tefillah because this is what we're doing, meaning that's the whole point of the fast day. This is the whole point of the tefillah of the fast day, that we turn to God and beseech. We beseech him. Rabbi Huda Omer, Lo says, no, they didn't say Zichron and Shofarot like Rosh Hashanah. Rather, what did they say instead? The verse, Ra'av davar And then the other verse, Asher Hayad Varashem, El Al So there's two verses here. One, the first is from Malachim, from Kings, and the second from the book of Jeremiah, Yermiao, right? And both of them are, are the they refer to the beginning of an era when there was, in the one case, famine and perhaps pestilence. In the second case, they're talking about uh, drought. And the idea is that those are times when people would turn to God in with great beseeching and great prayer. Fine. The Mishnah goes on. Right? They, at the end of each of these brachot or, or additions to the tefillah, they get a conclusion. Chotem of a of a blessing is a sealing of the blessing, meaning they close it off. So the, at the big, at the end, the way to conclude the first blessing is by saying this line, this verse, which says, you know, referring to God, He who answered Avraham at Mount Moriah. The, and then the point is, he, he, meaning God, will hear you and your cries on this day. Baruch Hashem, go El Yisrael. And then the the blessing closes with, blessed are you, God, the Redeemer of Israel, which is exactly the role that we're looking to God to play. Right, referring to God who saved the people at the at Yam Suf at the Red Sea. So now we've got a verse from, you know, the story is about what happens in Shmot. And it says again, God will answer you and hear your, the sound of your cry. And the idea is that God is blessing, or we bless God as the rememberer of those who have been forgotten or, or at risk of being for, forgotten. What about because remember, we're adding in six new blessings. For the third, he says, Misha, not at Yehoshua, but Gilgal. The same way that God remembered Yehoshua in Gilgal, meaning this is the place where they blew the shofar uh, for Yericho, for the wolves to come down in Jericho, and there's, they're going to win the war. So this is, again, we've got some verses from Yehoshua, and then the idea is here that he hears the blessing. Uh, the blessing is said, as God who hears ah, meaning the sound of the shofar, the, the blast of the shofar. So, mitzpah, I guess. The idea, again, is that the same way that God listened or hearkened to Shmuel in mitzpah, He will hearken to our cries today. God who hears outcry when the people cry or cry out to God. And the fifth blessing, Misha not Eliyahu Bahar Carmel, God who answered Eliyahu and Mount and the Mount Carmel, he he gave 
a very public um, answer to Elijah on Mount Carmel. So too, so, um, God who hears the prayers, so that each one of these has a different closing, a different seal to the ble- to the blessing that closes it off, um, <coughs> making each one a different. It has a different point in the way we turn to God in beseeching Him in in acknowledging that we know that He hears our prayer and so on. And lastly, Al Hashishiru Omer Misha Anat Daga. So now we come back to the book of Yonah. And Yonah, when he was in the belly of the fish, So the last verse, the last blessing of these six is to say the same way that God answered Yonah when he was in the belly of the fish, so too God should answer us, you know, in our time of, of trouble. And then the blessing concludes with saying, God who answers, which is, I think, a more active role of being ascribed to God, right? Who who answers a, the person at the time of trouble, um, which is, of course, what we want, right? That there's no rain, that's a time of trouble. I'm sorry, I said that this was the end of it. It's not the end of it because we've got all these blessings to go through. Meaning, Right there's the regular eighteen, and then there's an extra six for the twenty-four that are recited on the fast day. But in the the point is that each one of these is going to be it gets a special conclusion because of its role in the tefillah of the fast day. Al Shvi'it who Omer Misha Anat David veShlomo Benobi Yerushalayim who Yanet Chem veYishma b'Kol Tzakat Chem Hayom Azeh. So again, here we've got another historical uh, pleading to God. Specifically here, and it's kind of merged together. David Hamelch, King David, and Solomon, King Solomon, right when they cried out to God, who, <coughs> that God should hear our cries to Him the same way He hearkened to David and Shlomo. Baruch Atah Hashem Hamarachem Al Haaretz, that God took mercy on the land. Now the Mishnah pauses. Now again, if this were in a different edition, it would simply be a new Mishnah, as opposed to it being one long Mishnah that's shifting gears, but it is diff- nonetheless, it is definitely a shifting of gears. Ma'asebi me Rebbe Chalafta Rebbe Chananya ben Tradion. So it was in the days of Rebbe Chalafta Rebbe Chananya ben Tradion. What happened? She'avar achad that a person went before the Aron, meaning they went up to Davin from the Amud. They went to Davin on behalf of the community. kula, And he completed the entire blessing of the fast day but the congregation did not say Amen after him, which is, a, I assume, a bit of concern, right? Amen technically means like, yes, we agree with you, or so be it, right? That there's a an affirmation of the bracha that's just said. What happened instead? What did they do instead of saying Amen? Whoever's running the show there, not show, you know what I mean, um, says blow to the Kohanim that they should blow the shofar. So that instead of having the blessing be the closing there, instead the, the text here says, you know, um, that you should, that the sons of Aaron should blow the shofar blast, right? Um, I'm sorry. So, right. So, and then it starts to go through the next verse, right? 
The idea of, the, again, at the Red Sea, that God should answer us. So this question, how you know, what they were doing in this time of Rabbi Chalaft and Rabbi Chanina ben Tradion, meaning blowing shofar instead of saying amin, which is a pretty dramatic difference of experience, came before the sages. They had to adjudicate and determine what should the practice be. So they said straight up, this is not what we did. We only blew shofar when we were at the eastern gate of the temple and on the temple mount. But now, meaning now in the absence of the temple, it would simply not be the appropriate course as a means of responding to these brachot. It's not that they shift into blowing shofar. It's that they say amen. And that is, of course, you know, that is our practice when it comes to tefillot in, in, the, in a synagogue or, or for that matter in a public square. Somebody says a blessing and we all recite afterwards. Amen. Well, I'm going to continue, Anne, with our mega Mishnah read, as I would like to call this episode. Um, and there's five more Mishnahs here. Shlosh Taniyot Harishonot. So the first three fasts, Anche Mishmar Mitanin Velo Mashimim. So remember, we've talked about the Mishmar before, which was basically that the all the Kohanim were divided up into 24 groups, um, and they were assigned different weeks where they actually had to serve in the Beit HaMikdash. So if it was your week, your Mishmar week, right, you fasted for these first three days, but you didn't complete the fast. In other words, you would break your fast before the day was over. But the the members of the Beit Av who actually did, so each family, uh, so let's say you had the Mishmar and then the Kohanim were broken up into even smaller groups based on their family, and they each took one day of service in the Beit HaMikdash itself during that week. So the family who was doing the actual service that day, they did not fast at all. Shloshniot, the, the second of the three fasts, Anche Mishmar Mitanim Mashlimim, Anche Beitav Mitanim Velo Mashimim. So the Anche Mishmar then, they would fast and complete the fast, and the Anche Beitav, they would fast but not complete. Sheva Achor, note the last seven ones, Eluv Elu Mitanim Mishamim. Everybody had to fast and complete. Divrei Rabbi Yeshua. This is what Rabbi Yeshua's opinion. So the Chachamim said for the first three fasts, no, not the Mishmar or the Beitav, nobody was fasting. For the second three, the Anche Mishmar would fast but not complete. The Beitav, the people doing the actual service in the temple the day of the fast, didn't fast at all. Sheva Acharnod, Anche Mishmar Mitanino Mishalmim. For the last seven ones, the Anche Mishmar would um, f- complete the fast itself. Anche Beitav Mitamim below Mashimim. But the Anche Beitav would not fast at uh, would fast but not complete. So the Chacham have a more Mekel opinion. Um, and again, the reason for this probably is, is that you're doing the service in the temple itself. So they don't really want you to be fasting uh, because there's concern about whether or not you will uh, complete it appropriately. Uh, then it goes on, Anche Mishmar Mutarin Lot. So now they're going to go through a few other differences uh, about what Anche Mishmar are allowed to do um, and what the Beit Av family is allowed to do during a week of a Mishmar. So the Anche Mishmar, they're allowed to drink wine at night, but the um, but not during the days. Um, and because they wouldn't know whether or not they might be called upon to maybe have to help out with the service. So this is just a regular mishmar halacha. This doesn't have to do with the fasting, right? But the people who know that they are going to have to work that day, 
There's no drinking the night, you know, during the day or during the night. Now, um, the, uh, so now we get to the Anche, so the people, the, the Mishmar, right? And the Anche Ma'amad, so what that was is, these were non-Kohanim, these were Yisraelim. You also were divided up into groups during the year, and it was sort of your week, you were sort of partner-upped with a Mishmar um, group, um, and uh, you read from, uh, you read different things in your village, you read from the Torah that week, you read uh, Bereshit, uh, the creation of the world. Um, and so that was sort of a way of symbolically showing that sort of there was Yisraelim connected to the Avodah that was being done in the Beit HaMikdash. So during that week of the Mishmar, you do not uh, cut your hair or you don't wash your clothes. But on, right? But on Thursday, you were allowed to do those things uh, for for Shabbat. Now we get back to the issues of fasting and we go to the any day where it was written in Megillat Ta'anit. Remember, we talk about Megillat Ta'anit often, which was this special book that listed out um, over 30 days where some type of miracle happened or it was a day of joy where fasting was not allowed to take place, right? So any of those days, right, it's also prohibited to eulogize on that day. You can't give a eulogy. All right, the day before the day, that happy day, you're not allowed to give a eulogy. The day after would be okay. Rabbi Yossi says, even the day after, you're not allowed to give a hesped. You can't give a eulogy. Now, talking about these days where it says that you can't just not fast, right? It's you can fast though the day before or the day after. So you may not be able to give a eulogy the day before or even according to Rabbi Yossi, the day after, but you can fast on the days before and after. Rabbi Yossi says you cannot fast the day before any of these joyous days, but you can fast the day after. Right, so we then get into this thing, hasharim. Sorry, so uh, we saw this halacha before in the Gemara that when we decree these series of fasts, we're always going to start on a Monday. We don't start on a Thursday, right? Because we don't want the prices to go up if we start on a Thursday. In other words, if the first of the fast is on a Thursday, Friday, everybody's going to come to buy food after the fast. And then some store owners will sort of take advantage of the fact that it's crowded and they'll raise their prices. Right, so the first three have to be Monday, Thursday, Monday. And the three second of the series have to be Thursday, Friday, Thursday. Rabbi Yossi actually says um, they always have to start on a series. Those series of three, whether it's the first or the second, always have to be a Monday, Thursday, Monday. And finally, So now we're just going on to other things about public fasts. And so the Mishnah here teaches us that you can't decree a fast on Rosh Chodesh, on Hanukkah, or on Purim. But let's say for some reason a fast did get, uh, you know, did get designated. And you could see with Rosh Chodesh, maybe that could happen occasionally because of the way Rosh Chodesh was actually decreed, right? You didn't always know when Rosh Chodesh was going to fall out. If you started, right, and if you started, 
um, then you don't you don't stop, right? In other words, once you start, you don't stop. Divrei Rabban Gamliel. This is what Rabban Gamliel says. I'm a Rabbi Mayer. Rabbi Mayer says, Even the Rabban Gamliel says we don't stop. He does agree that you wouldn't finish the fast. You do break your fast earlier. Don't wait till the end of the day. And this is an interesting thing. Today we have the Tishabab never falls out the way we have a fixed calendar on Erev Shabbat on a Friday. Here it was still when it could be variable because of the way Rosh Chodesh was determined. Um, so it says if Tishabab falls out on a Friday, you can you break your fast a little bit earlier on the Friday. The other piece I want to mention is Rebbe Gamliel is a Nasi. And um, therefore, he's very invested in the authority of the rabbis. So if a public fast was declared, in a way this, you know, he doesn't want to undo rabbinic authority. They declared a fast. So he sort of comes to this compromised position where we're going to respect the de- declaration of the public fast by the sages, but we just won't complete it. Um, and I think it's important to keep in mind that that's probably some of the motivation of Rabban Gamliel. As always, we see Rabban Gamliel wants to make sure that there's sort of this you know, uh, in, this integrity is maintained about rabbinic authority. Um, so, I, look, I thought this was a fun uh, daft today because I love Mishnah and I think there's a good practice in learning Mishnah every single day. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see a chapter set up like this. The whole parak is set up by giving all of the Mishnah. And then tomorrow we'll start with the Gemara uh, that is going to basically give a commentary on all of these Mishnahs um, together. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Neat Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.